0: Good Wednesday morning, everybody. Today and the next two episodes after this are going to be a little different. These are recordings from Dr. John's talks at Calvary Bible Church in Mount Joy, Pennsylvania. The first talk we're going to listen to is going to be a Wednesday night talk to the youth group there at that church. Next week you're going to hear a Saturday talk, which was to the CMDA group there, so Christian Medical and Dental Association. And then the following talk will be a Sunday talk that he gave where he preached the sermon for that Sunday for Calvary Bible Church. Hope you guys enjoy. Over the years in universities, I didn't wish to get involved in this. I was a happy academic, hiding away my ivory tower, doing experiments, writing papers, and seeing the patients that I was interested in. Uh, But uh, God has ways of getting at you, and he did get at me. What happened was the time in Jamaica came to an end, I was supposed to go back to a job in England, but Mrs Thatcher became Prime Minister and she cancelled the funding for my job. So I was unemployed. The Wellcome Trust was very embarrassed, so they said, we'll pay your salary while you find a job, it won't take long. I took a holiday, a paid holiday obviously, but within a a little while I had two offers, one in Ottawa and one in Harvard. It must be in our genes because my son did the same thing to Stanford a, a generation later. We both have on our CVs, in my case, Harvard job refused. Stanford went for a year and walked away from the best program in the world. In each case, because there was no soul there. I was appalled at Harvard where people write their research results in code for fear that somebody else will publish them. You can't function in that environment. And so the most limiting factor in the successful failure of america in the next little while in my view well not mine it's robert fogel's view and i agree with him is how many people can you trust how many people in your life do you genuinely trust would they come wherever you were in the world if you if you needed them you could trust them under any circumstances trust is going down the tubes at a rate of knots what the academic world did as they realised this was happening was to introduce courses on ethics. But a course on ethics may turn you into an amateur ethicist, but they will not make you ethical. If you are good, you probably to go and thank your mom and dad. Because the most predictive factor of somebody who can be trusted is upbringing and culture. When anyone talks about race, by the way, say, can we talk about culture? because culture is what matters. What any group of people think about and take as a given, something that everybody will agree about. And the amount that you agree about in America is diminishing rapidly. The best book, in my view, on why America succeeded is de Tocqueville's book, Democracy in America. It's interesting that a a French aristocrat wrote the best book on why you succeeded. Because your country was unique in the gifts God had given you, and we'll come to that in just a moment. De Tocqueville went through the French Revolution, and many—he was a minor aristocrat. Many of his family were murdered in the uh, bloodbath that followed the, the revolution, but there wasn't a bloodbath in America. And he said, "It wasn't until I went into the churches of America that I understood why America worked." You're the only country that I know of anywhere in the world where the government did not have to do anything about the ideas of right and wrong they were given. They were already here, they'd come from the Judeo-Christian heritage that had led the Pilgrim Fathers to come and many others. Not so many as good as the Pilgrim Fathers in the South. And that still shows in your social statistics today. The Puritans get a bad rap, they shouldn't. If you look at the social statistics of America, Alabama claims to be the most born-again state in the Union. It has one of the worst rates for all the bad social statistics like divorce, sexually transmitted disease, and the like. Massachusetts has amongst the best, amongst the elite, of course. They may tell everybody else that you can't have any religion in school, but they send their children to private schools. They marry and stay married. They have a low divorce rate. They disciplined their children, very different from other parts of America. But the America that started had a consensus on good and evil. Even the, the cowboy movies were like that. When I went to King Edward's school, one of the first essays I had to write that I remember was an English master who said, Go and wa- watch the gunfight of O.K. Corral and write an essay on convention." You can think about that for a while, but it was a brilliant question because in the early movies they even made sure you didn't get it wrong by the bad guy always wore a black hat and the good guy wore a, the good guy wore a white hat. You know, that's a conventional trope, if you like. Those kinds of stories are important in many ways, and America had agreements on good and evil. It wasn't that far back. that some of the older people here might even remember a time, but you talk to your grandparents about what America used to be like. If there was an argument in a bar and then somebody said, oh, the Bible says, that would be the end of the argument. That's not true anymore. There is no book that is held and honored as the Bible used to be. And in part, it's our fault as evangelicals for the way in which we didn't read it carefully. I didn't think about these things for a long while. When I went off to medical school, By the grace of God, on my first Sunday in London, another student took me to hear a man called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I was in his church frequently for the next five years. He preached three hour-long sermons a week. One on Friday night, one on Sunday morning, and one on Sunday evening. When I say an hour, it was sometimes 55 minutes. I can still remember some of those sermons almost verbatim. I remember a few years ago being asked to go to focus on the Family's Physician Conference to do the, uh, the devotionals for the week. And at the end of it, as I was leaving the auditorium, about four or 500 people there, a hand tapped me on the shoulder, and I looked around. There was an elderly gentleman, and he said, just like being back in the chapel, he meant Westminster Chapel, he said, you went to Martin Lloyd-Jones Church, didn't you? I said, yes, I did. Because he knew how to expand scriptures. If you want to taste what sermons were like, you can find Martin Lloyd-Jones on YouTube. He wouldn't be recorded in England, but you Americans, when he came over here, didn't ask him whether he wanted to be recorded. They simply did it. And they're the only recordings we have, but there is an MLJ uh, activity on uh, the internet, uh, not yet getting the uh, amount of uh, visits that it should get. But a very serious thinker. So he helped keep me safe for a while. John Stott also helps. These are people who, who were real biblical expositors of the first level. And if you don't have a book like that in your life, you're going to be in trouble. If you want a text for the next few years, that if you can keep it uh, by the grace of God, it would be they continued in the Apostles' Doctrine in breaking of bread, in fellowship. Those are the things that are sine qua non, you must do these things if you want your faith to succeed. Now, that came to an end, and in the early years of medicine, in those days, we worked 400 hours a month with no official time off. There was no fellowship. Nobody can survive without fellowship. In your day, you can do it, by phone or in other ways. And when you go to university, it would be very wise indeed for you to find a little group of people and ask them to be your support group. You don't want clever people. That's not the primary thing you're concerned about. The most important thing is the people you know truly love the Lord Jesus, and you know it so because their lives show it. By their fruit you shall judge them, not by their words. And you want those people to call you once a week and ask you the following questions. Have you read your Bible this week? Have you prayed this week? Have you just lied to me? That gives you another chance. But it wasn't long after qualifying as a doctor that the Bible gathered dust and the prayers disappeared. Because in many ways, even Lloyd-Jones and Stott had not dealt with the subjects that I now realize matter a lot. Science has become scientism. The people who've been talking about science in COVID basically know nothing about science. The science is never in. It's always provisional at one level or another. Even Newton was wrong. He's right in the limited state of 1G or thereabouts but not at other levels and we don't know you can never know what's coming next until it comes around the beginning of the 20th century physicists saying, well we've done physics and then along came Einstein and Niels Bohr and it was all over and everybody was excited again so science is like that one of my questions on there is that evolution is true Not of course in the big sense, but only in the micro sense. So you can always, you defuse the opposition by saying, yeah, I believe evolution is true. I mean, we do know that there are now fruit flies on Hawaii that weren't there a hundred years ago. We took them there and now there are species of fruit fly on Hawaii that can't mate with the ones in North America. That's the definition of a species. So yeah, species evolve. And if you had a car that would evolve as the climate changed, would it be a better or worse car? That's a no-brainer too, but God made us so that we can adjust, and animals so they can adjust, but only in a limited sense. The big question remains, and the good news for you, uh, but it will take at least 20 years to get into high school, but the big battle is over in many respects. I've taught in Cuba about six times, Um, usually medicine, but on the first occasion, there there are Christian doctors in Cuba, and Fidel allowed us to have a a Christian medical conference, which was funded by the Canadian CMDS, which is why I was there. When I looked at the program, I said, but there's nothing explicitly Christian about this program. And the the Cubans said, could you make it explicitly Christian? I said, sure, I can. I, I did. I gave some talks that linked faith and science. Um, that was very helpful to them. On, I think it was the second visit, but it may have been. A, it doesn't matter which one it was. But I'd given a lecture in in one university in Cuba. I can't remember which one. It wasn't in Havana. But after the lecture, a gentleman came up to me, and he didn't look like a doctor. And I said. Uh, what are you doing here who are you and he said well i'm here to see you and i'm the head of the department of marxism marxism and leninism in the local university i said well you've come to the wrong place he said no i haven't the students tell me he said that you say that russia was not brought down by american economic power but it was brought down because it rotted from the inside it was moral decay that destroyed uh Russia and it's still suffering from it, and we're on the same path." Uh, And he said, when they told me that, I agreed with them. I, in fact, stopped teaching Marxism and Leninism when Russia collapsed because I saw that since they were our major trading partner, Cuba was in for a very hard time, but I didn't want Cuba to fall back into the hands of the mafia, which it had been in before. So I tried to teach multicultural ethics, but the students go to sleep but they tell me they don't go to sleep when you teach ethics. So I've come to ask you whether you will debate me please tomorrow morning in front of the faculty of the Department of Marxism and Leninism on the nature of ethics. I know that you believe there are no ethics without transcendence. I've been brought up as a Marxist. I've been trying to teach materialistic ethics. I don't mind losing. I want to learn the argument. What an amazing thing to say. Now I had one evening, Uh, of course I said yes. Uh, I had one evening to prepare. I said my prayers, I had various starts that I knew would work. But when God is on your side, especially if you're an arrogant prig like me at times, uh, he will humble you every now and again and remind you who's actually in charge. So I worked quite hard the previous evening and thought about what I would do and got it lined up. The next morning, when I walked the six steps from my chair to the lectern, he wiped the slate clean. Everything that I had prepared was just removed from my mind and replaced with something quite stunningly better. Fortunately, I had a Colombian-Canadian as my translator because you can't trust Marxist translators. Uh, and I said, Hugo, you better pay attention. Uh, it's all changed. He said, this should be fun. I said, I hope he will be, but we'll see. Uh, I want you to start by writing on the blackboard behind me. This message assembled itself. Now, if you going to go into a classroom and that's on on the whiteboard, blackboard, whatever it is, would you believe it? No. Why not? You know, no because, like, but- that's right. It's illogical, isn't it? It's not possible. Well, these are professors. They were smart. No, it's a grammatical sentence, but it's meaningless. You can't have a message without a message writer. I said, quite right. Now I turned around and crossed out the word message and put DNA in its place. And I said, but you do believe this sentence because Darwin told you it was so, this DNA assembled itself. But DNA is a message. It's not even a protein. It's full basis, incredible. And you have uh, about 3.5 billion in the right order. That's your ID number. Good job we don't have to write it out very often, right? But it can be copied in seconds and it even has an error-proofing system. And God only needs four letters in his alphabet and he writes in three-letter words. But he can specify a great deal about you. Not everything, however, is contained in DNA. It actually gets much more interesting, but there isn't time for that this evening because somebody's going to tell me it's time to stop within about three minutes. Um, But, and then I explained to them how it works. It's easier to do it with numbers. And it's got much better since then from from our point of view. And it was a Christian who stumbled on this. So the average protein is going to require about a thousand letters in the right order with every three specifying Uh, An amino acid with three at the beginning being a start and another at the end being a stop. And every this has to be in the right order. And that's pretty stunning, isn't it? But some time ago now, we discovered every now and again we invented biochemical scissors so that we can cut strips of DNA up to where we think we've got a gene, and then we can stick that gene into an E. coli bacteria and it will make the protein. In fact, any diabetics in the room? There should be some, yeah. If you're taking insulin, uh, your insulin is made by bacterium now uh, because it's pure human insulin, whereas the insulin ex- extracted out of animals is not human insulin, so antibodies are a problem. So uh, that's a digression. So you need a, about a thousand of them to get uh, a protein. But then we discovered, we. We're getting, in some bits of DNA, two proteins out of the same sequence of DNA. How is that possible? Nobody knew. You imagine you're going 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Do it as numbers, it's easier. So there's a codon saying start at 1 and go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and so on. And you get a protein, and you get, an you get, you get a specific protein. But then they discovered another codon say, start at number two and go two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and so on. Again, another protein. It's rather as though you could take a Shakespeare sonnet and start at the second letter and have an entirely different summit. We can't even conceive of that. But that was that's what God has written into DNA. It was originally called the double reading frame. But God doesn't waste space. He overwrites everything, but he can still read it. And so can the mechanisms in your body. Now in Cuba, they did something you haven't done. What do you think that would be? The whole room burst into applause. I had one. Because they had lived with scientific materialism long enough to know that it didn't work. And they knew I was going to take it to pieces because I had in fact already done so. I had no idea of that way of doing it. That wasn't me, that was a gift. And that happens every now and again. Uh, as I was thinking about what I might say to you, because you have a difficult audience to, to talk to with such an age range. Um, I was thinking about this phenomenon, wanting to give you something to realize how great God is, uh, that you couldn't, You could tell to ordinary people without being religious. You can tell the DNA story. And they don't know what to say because there is nothing to say except, wow, it is absolutely stunning. And it's by no means the only example that one could use. And one needs to learn lots of them. How to argue your case in as winsome a manner as is possible. And there are lots of ways of doing it. The, in preparation, I, I suddenly remembered that I had many years ago, long before any of you were born. In fact, it turned out it was 1991 when I tracked it down. But I was asked at the last minute to make a presentation. It, roughly, it would be Congress for you, the House of Representatives, but it was Parliament for me, a parliamentary committee that was di- was going through a bill that would have purported to be a protection for doctors but was actually a bill legalizing euthanasia and it was being disguised uh, and only at the last minute did one senator's assistant realize what it was and he had there were about 48 hours left to get submissions in and he had to run around Ottawa finding three people who could respond to this and I was one of them so I had 24 hours to write my submission. I did it, sent it, they had to accept it because I represented a significant number of physicians. So I knew I'd get called. Uh, the guy who went before me to to speak to the, uh, the committee was as boring as could be and people were falling asleep. So when I got to the, the microphone, uh, the guy in charge said, uh, Dr. Patrick, we have read your submission into the record don't read this. Talk to us about this issue. Now it so, so happens that God made me quite good at talking. But what came next was not me. It was far better than anything I could imagine. I had the this, this strange phenomenon of listening to myself, wondering what was coming next. Bits of poetry that I hadn't used for thirty years popped up at exactly the right moments quotations from other places, actually ended with a quotation from Camus, the French atheist, about, if I believed the gospel, I would be shouting it from the the, the housetops, but Christians don't really believe it, because they don't shout about it. He doesn't say quite like that, but it was a quotation from Camus, and I I, I was sure that the guy, uh, the the chairman, uh, was going to say something at the end, but I wasn't. I thought I was going to get chopped down, but not at all. He said this. He said, Dr. Patrick, if you use a scalpel like you use words, I would like to come and watch. And we stopped the bill. And they gave us another 20 years, but we're going to lose this one. You have just changed your law about abortion, but don't think abortion is solved by law. It's not. The law should not be there in the way that it was. Uh, But the law represents where Americans have got to and most of you want the world to conform to your feelings, right? They even tell me how they feel about biochemistry and I tell them, actually, your feelings have nothing to do with biochemistry. And neither does anything that's really important. It's got to be brought into the area of the intellect, the mind. The Bible says absolutely nothing about your feelings that makes you responsible for them because you don't know where your feelings come from or where they go to. God can give you feelings that help whenever he wants to in the most unlikely places. I've had that experience many times. Uh, But the Bible does not say, if you've understood my argument, then you ought not to be like the people around you. You must be transformed by the renewal of your feelings. It doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? Your mind. If your mind is not being changed and developed week by week, you're a useless Christian. You are called to develop your mind in a Christian way. That means you need at least one day a week to switch that wretched screen off. Nothing important is so important that they couldn't still get out Hold of you if the screen was off. Uh, I had to ask somebody to help me with the phone that my wife has got for me yesterday, uh, today, sorry, in the airport because I couldn't make it work Uh, because I've never had an iPhone and uh, it's not all immediately intuitively obvious how it works. Uh, But there are plenty of people around for whom screens are a way of light. Um, Not for me, They're, they're a waste of time. Uh, what it's done to you is to diminish your concentration span dramatically to make you addicted to the screens they've done studies now taking students away for a weekend taking their phones from them at the beginning and they were they were begging for their phones within five hours Um, the first time we went to Africa uh, there was no means of communication whatsoever uh, my father went into hospital and came out again before I was in contact again. But God was in charge. I was free in that sense. I, at your age, would read for five hours without thinking anything of it. Very few of you could do that, because that's training. You, you're perfectly happy to train your body to put a ball through a net or a hoop, or whatever, or in, but not to train yourself for even 20 minutes reading seriously. Now, here's a test for you, and then I'll stop, because I have to. The, best, the medieval way of learning was to write a praesi of important texts. Now, anybody in the room know what a precy is? No. That's the failure of the American education system. You see, in the Middle Ages, they knew that if you wanted to become a, a doctor of philosophy to get a higher degree at that level, you had to do a master's first, but you were only in your 20s. You couldn't possibly have anything of great importance to say until you were past that stage. So in order to get your master's in the Middle Ages, they would give you a text, a book. I mean, it was parchments in those days, which everybody knew was intellectually important, but difficult. And you had to write a precy. And if you did it well, you could go on to a doctorate. Now, Precy is the French word for precise. And the first exercise I give to my class every year in Augustine College, where we teach the history of ideas on the, on the uh, proposition that we are the products of Hebrew and Greek thought modified by the church, which is perfectly true and perfectly unacceptable to the liberal elite. Um, and I would ask you the question, any of you deny having read Ephesians 1 and 2 and heard sermons on it? Ever. No, you all have. Many times, right? Could any of you, including the adults, stand up and give a brief account of Ephesians 1 and 2 without having your Bible open? Now, If you write a prece, you will. Now, what you do when you write a prece, again, very unmodern. Nothing about yourself must show in this. You're not showing off what you're doing is paying deep attention to the text, honouring Paul in this case. But Paul is on a rhetorical high in Ephesians, which is why I uh, use it. I'm looking forward to meeting the scribe who tried to write it down. It must have been an awful job to keep up with Paul. He was firing on all cylinders in Ephesians. But the first thing you do is remove every adverb and every adjective every modifying word, because that doesn't affect the essential argument. So you cut them all out, just cross them out, get rid of them. Now Paul in Ephesians 1 writes a a sentence that takes half a page in most translations. Well, reduce everyone to simple, short, Anglo-Saxon sentences. Ugly, but not a wasted word of any sort. Uh, And the students have to take the first two chapters and reduce them to a one double page double spaced page of type and my question to them when they come back is has ephesians 1 and 2 changed to you for you because of that exercise and the answer is always yes it's astonishing i will never forget the argument again i mean once you do that out it pulls out of your hand Paul repeats the same phrase three times in the first chapter, for the praise of his glory. And he says, God planned you in his mind before he made you for the praise of his glory. He wishes you to live now for the praise of his glory, and you will live forever for the praise of his glory. And Paul is overwhelmed by this amount of interest that God chose in us. And then you have the amazing, you were a mess, you were lost, but God, and then you get to the bit you all know you're saved by grace, etc. And that's why the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles, no other, is has gone for those that truly believe. You'll never forget the argument when you've done it yourself. And you must write by hand because it's a different pathway than typing or do what you do. Now you see one of the problems with phones is you think in letters, you don't think in words anymore. Not surprisingly, you have no poetry in your writing. It even shows in the translations of the Bible. The NIV, which I call the nearly infallible wooden version, uh, can destroy all the poetry there is in the Bible. Uh, They even try uh, to change Psalm 23. Uh, No, it's been done. You're not going to improve on it. Don't pretend you can. My test of a new translation is always to go to Ecclesiastes and see what they do with... I looked and beheld above. behold the race is not but to the swift, nor yet the battle to the strong. But time and chance happen to every man. That's poetry. You can remember that. It's got rhythm, it's got cadence. The new versions don't. I must stop because I've already overstayed my time. But if you're interested, uh, do visit augustincollege.org If you are flat emotionally at the moment, which COVID has done to most of you, and you need your enthusiasm renewed, we can do that. We've been doing it for 25 years. We work you very hard. Uh, If you're not capable of writing, we don't take you. You have to write a coherent short essay for us to get in. But you will write 30 odd essays in eight months. Most importantly, you will make friends for life. And you have a 10% probability of finding a spouse without knowing you've done it. Ah. And you have a 70% probability that your faith will survive university after that. But not if you go to university first. They all take you apart in the modern world. It's called Augustine College because Augustine had a motto, which again is against the modern university. Flatting, credo in Intelligam. Credo, I believe, ought in order to, intelligam, understand. The university thinks you understand before you believe. Augustine was smarter. He knew that what you believe determines what you can understand. That's a problem for missionaries going into a pagan environment and not realizing what they're doing. Because a pagan environment has no idea of God's providence and has no idea of God's nature. So experiments are unthinkable to a pagan environment. but as a scientist, material progress has been built on experiment. Why? Because we believe that under the surface chaos of life there must be order because God is a God of order. And of course there is. I hope you guys enjoyed that talk. If you want John to speak at your church or at your event, Be sure to reach out. You can use the links in the description below and we will see you guys next week.